Thank you, Kyle. Good morning, Grace Woodlands. Good to be with you all. I've been here once before a couple of years ago. It's great to be with you. Uh, I am here because I'm David Wilcher's good friend, absolutely. He's a dear friend to me. We've been at a pastoral fellowship group for over 20 years. I love coming here because I remember when your church got started. We planted in Austin, Texas, Redeemer Church in 1994, and the core group, original core group from the Woodlands, came over with David uh, a couple of times to worship with us. We were one of your first supporting churches when you got founded, so it's a joy to come here and see what God has done across the years since the middle 90s. I love coming here as coordinator of Mission in North America. Uh, Our role in Mission in North America is to help the local church in the U.S. and Canada go forward in Christ's mission, to flourish in Christ's mission. We help you through giving you direction and encouragement and resourcing for church planning. You've been a church that's been very involved in churches being planted in this area and in other areas. We praise God for you in that way. Secondly, we help you partner with missional opportunities like some of your own members. The Boers, Ron and Nancy Boer, new members here. Nancy leads us in our English as a Second Language ministry all across the PCA. And she held a great training here this weekend. She is so encouraged to be here. Ron and Nancy feel very loved here. Thank you for embracing them. Thank you for embracing a ministry like ESL. Thank you for literally allowing our our vehicle, our disaster response vehicle to be parked in your parking lot and for you serving so kindly and graciously with disaster relief uh, in the Houston area as God has been at work rebuilding here in word and in deed. Uh, And the mission in North America is about renewal, the renewal of Christ's church through the gospel. And that's why I'm here today, uh, to just preach to you the gospel of the hope of resurrection. You're in this series, I love it. I love David's creativity and thought a series of the gospel through the prophets. How is the gospel there? And, and one of the ways you see it in Elijah and Elisha is the hope of resurrection. It's just everywhere. There's stories of Elijah and Elisha being used of God to literally raise the dead, but there are all kinds of figurative places where they work in, in smaller ways, in shadowy ways to raise the dead, like Elisha helps somebody raise an axe head that's fallen to the bottom of a river and lifts it up and resurrects it. And this is a story tipping forward from where you are back in the early chapters with Elijah. This is a story of Elisha raising a man, Naaman, God raising a man, Naaman, an enemy of God, and yet raised by the gospel of God back to life out of leprosy. He's living a living death, and God raises him to life. How do we live and serve and hope in light of resurrection? That's what we want to see this morning. Let's read together this text from 2 Kings chapter 5, the story of God using Elisha to raise Naaman from the death of leprosy. Hear God's word to you. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. 
So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, (coughs) and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, Would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored, and he became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is a God in all the world. There is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will accept nothing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow down there also, when I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. After Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, My master was too easy on Nahum and this Aramean by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right? he asked. Everything is all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say, two young men from the country of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them and then tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. He gave them to two of his servants and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. (coughs) When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them away in the house. He sent the men away and they left. When he went in and stood before his master, Elisha asked him, Where have you been, Gehazi? Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. 
But Elisha said to him, Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes or olive groves and vineyards or flocks and herds or male and female servants? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and his skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, show us your resurrection love and power here and how it changes everything for us in the world. And may we, moved and just gripped by your resurrection, live as servants of resurrection in your world. We pray it, Jesus, all in your name. Amen. This is about the time of year I'm a native Floridian, as, as Kyle told you. So I'm like you as a Houstonian, you know, you like it to always be over 85 and really humid. You like that, right? I like that too from Central Florida. We're weird, right? But I'm just dying for spring to come at this time of year and then summer to get here. And about this time of year, I start thinking about when we can actually go as a family to the beach and when we can maybe go back to the places we went in childhood in South Carolina and in Georgia with my parents and and maybe take another trip together. And I can just even picture going over the causeway from Charleston over to James Island and over that big causeway. And what I long to do is, as soon as I get on that is just roll my window down in my car and just breathe it in. Just breathe in that first smell and freshness of sea air. And it just, it just fills me in a way and it releases me in a way that gives me joy that I can't even describe. I cannot wait to do that sometime this spring or summer. My favorite writer about Easter, Gerhardus Voss, seminary professor at Princeton Seminary, beautiful preacher of the Gospel, said that Easter, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is like the sea breeze of heaven that fills the lungs of our souls, that gives us a joy and a hope indescribable and allows us to press on in all the world. Easter, it's not just a day, it's not just a season of the church year, it's a living hope. We are, as Peter said, born again to the living hope as Christ's people through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that is all because of the great mercies of God. To us, Because Christ is risen, everything about His ministry is true. Your sins are forgiven. You have life in His name. There is no condemnation because He is risen from the dead for you and all His servants. You live in hope. A resurrection life has begun for you that will last forever. Easter means everything, right? I love John Bunyan's picture of Easter. Pilgrim is just getting started and he's carrying this heavy burden. Right, Even as he started his journey, he's, he's got this pack on and it's burdening him. But he sees the cross and he down at the bottom of the hill, there is the empty tomb. And Pilgrim says, there I stood and the, and the burden fell off my back and it rolled from the side of the cross down the hill into that empty tomb and it was laid to rest there forever. And the springs in his eyes open up and he shouts, shouts of joy, and he leaps in the air with joy, and he says, 
Blessed grave, blessed cross, but blessed rather be the one who gave his life there for me. There forever will my burdens lay, freed from off my back. It's the beauty of the gospel. Easter means it's all true. But Easter does something else, right? It tips us forward into living in its reality. We aren't called to be Easter people, as, it, as the quote says from Wendell Berry in the front of your bulletin. We are to practice resurrection. We are servants of the risen Christ. We are people who live in light of Christ's resurrection. What does that look like? I love this story because it kind of gives you images from the different servants in this story how we live as servants of Christ's resurrection. What did Paul tell the Corinthians? We don't preach ourselves. We preach Jesus Christ is Lord. And for Paul, that's code language for Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. We preach Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is risen Lord. And ourselves, your servants for his sake. How do we live that out? How do we live as the servants of Easter? Let's think about briefly the servants in this story as they foreshadow what it's like for us to live as servants of Easter. First, think about the little slave girl. She shows us our call to be servants of Easter. Servants of resurrection means we take the gospel of resurrection to the undeserving. We serve the undeserving with the gospel of resurrection. What about this little girl? Right? She's taken captive in raids that the Arameans are making. And Naaman leads these raids as the captain of the army of Syria, of Aram. And he comes and he captures booty. And part of that booty is this little girl. And she's taken captive. And she's now in Naaman's house. So she's someone who especially caught his eye. And she serves his wife. What did this little girl see in these battles? What was it like to be stripped out of her family, either because she left them crying and sobbing and they were alive back in Israel, or because she saw them slaughtered? Either way, it was awful, right? What kind of things did she witness or experience that were done to women taking a battle in the ancient Near East? Abuse, rape, or worse. And what is she expected to do in Naaman's house besides serve her mistress? This is not a good place. This is not a lovely picture. And yet, what does this little girl say? My master has leprosy. Would that he would go see the prophet who was in Israel who could heal him. This would be the most undeserving person in her life. Her greatest enemy, she lives in his house. And she is thinking about how to bring the gospel of resurrection to Naaman. His leprosy, perhaps it's new, perhaps it's gotten out of check, perhaps he can't hide it anymore. <clears throat> but something has happened where he is going to have to live as a leper in ways that are out of control and may remove him from his spot in the army, remove him from family and culture, may push him further towards a real death. And she's saying, I would that my enemy, God, could find your grace through the prophet. 
I, I sort of binge on TV shows when you travel like I do, and uh, you sort of binge on things on Netflix, and one of those I binged on from time to time is Turn. It's the story of the American Revolution and the spy ring that gets formed uh, under Washington's army. And uh, there's this beautiful little section where Abigail, she's an African slave, and she gets freed in Connecticut around the time of the war, and she's reveling in her freedom, and then all of a sudden she, along with her old town, gets captured by the British, and so she's made a slave again, made slave to Major Andre, who's the scoundrel of scoundrels, who um, has no morals whatsoever, and she has to go be his personal servant. And you get this sense that much more is going to be asked of her than cooking and cleaning. And so she says to her friend, Annie Strong, who's tied in with the spy ring, I'm going to do whatever it takes to bring him down, to bring the British down. I'm going to send you messages. We will topple this man, and we will topple these tyrants. Now, we love that in American history, right? But what if she had also said, and I'm going to do everything I can to love my enemy and pray for those who persecute me. Let's bring it into present time. What if your daughter or you were taken captive in 9-11? What if 9-11 wasn't a kamikaze you know, kind of series of raids, right? But was an ongoing raiding project by Middle Eastern armies against us and what if your daughter or you were taken captive and you were living in the commander of the armies that had slaughtered your people would you want to bring resurrection there how do you do this how do we be willing to bring the gospel of resurrection even to our greatest enemies How do we do this? How do we become like St. Patrick, right? Who's captured by pirates off the Irish coast. And he lives as a slave for six years. And he miraculously, by God's direction in his life through a series of visions, he miraculously escapes, crosses the entire island, and comes back home to northern England, and then decides, I'm going to go back and take the gospel to the very people who enslaved me. How do you do that? Only if you realize that this is what Christ has done for you. That He has come to you, to me, to us, enslaved Himself, as it were, to His calling to die for our sins and to be raised up to give us life, (coughs) to die for us even when we were yet God's enemy. People who naturally hate God and despise Him and reject Him. This is how far the Gospel comes. And so, as it saturates us, as we revel in it, as you will literally eat it and drink it in a few moments, may God allow you to begin to move toward the most undeserving people in your world with the message and the hope of resurrection. Let me tell you one story before we move to the second point. My wife grew up uh, in Birmingham, Alabama. Did you ever see the movie Mean Girls with Lindsay Lohan? Uh, that's what my wife was, except for she wasn't the victim like Lindsay. She was, you know, the mean girl, okay? She and a couple of friends ran her Christian school that way as mean girls. And um, 
And so a, a, a new girl came to the school at the beginning of middle school. She had giant frizzy hair, as Fran remembers it, huge glasses. She not only had braces, but she had a giant retainer, and she would wear that giant retainer to school. She um, was a girl that my wife and the other two mean girls looked at and said, we're going to make her life miserable. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe your daughter or your son has experienced that. I've had one of my daughters experience something like that. What do you want to do as a parent if someone's bullying your child like that, right? You want to strangle that child, right? But instead, Tammy's mother decided, I'm going to love Fran. She did a little research and found out that my, my wife's dad was very sick and that he then soon passed away. Did a little research and found that her mother was physically and emotionally ill and disengaged from family life, that her older and brother's sister were gone, and so she was functionally raising herself. Decided she would start making lunches because she heard that Fran didn't have lunches. Connected and Fran to come over and spend a Friday night with them, even though this is the child who's bullying her daughter and making her miserable, begins to take her on family trips, becomes a second home for her, really a first home for her. Eventually, her dad, <laughs> Tammy's dad, best husband, will ride with Fran to college in one car while Beth and Tammy ride to college in the other car because Fran doesn't have anybody to help her go to college. They'll room together and they are still best friends together till this day. And my wife, who is one of the most loving people I've ever met, who's told me anything that I know about being kind, would say, it all started for her when Beth Saunders decided to love her with the love of Jesus when she deserved to be hated. Where does God just want you to step out that way? To love somebody radically undeserving in your world because that's what Jesus has done with you. That's the power of resurrection. Resurrection love and service from the undeserving. Secondly, let's think about uh, the attendance to Naaman his servants, what do they teach us? That resurrection love moves us <laughs> to serve even the proud. Naaman comes down with his chariot, the very chariots that have attacked and destroyed Israel, right? That conquer Israel. He comes down with 700 pounds of silver and over 100 pounds of gold and this exotic wardrobe of clothing and all the stuff there, right? is really a picture of his power, which is a picture of his pride, right? I deserve to be healed. A man like me, as powerful and strong and wealthy as me, I deserve to be healed. I don't deserve leprosy. I deserve to be healed. And by the way, I deserve to be healed in such a way that is grand, right? That the prophet comes out and puts on a show that actually may demand something of me in these gifts and these power so that I can be seen as a hero even in my own healing. And God will have none of that. How does resurrection come to us? Always in ways that break our pride. How do you know the gospel's moving and active in your life when your pride is not being affirmed but broken? <laughs> when you're being taught to give up the power, to give up the hope and the wealth, to have nothing in your hands. 
simply to the cross and the empty tomb you can claim. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I claim. Why does Jesus say you cannot serve both God and money? That you can't have as your ultimate hope and master money in Him. Because when we're holding and clutching these things, there's no room to lay hold of Jesus. And so servants of resurrection know I'm going to have to bring the love of Jesus to people that are proud, who turn me off. What is it about proud people, right? We hate them, don't we? Don't you hate being around proud people? I do. Part of the problem is I'm one of the proud people, right? Maybe you are too. We all are at some level. And so what do we know about ourselves? Jesus loves us enough (coughs) to come to us as King of kings and Lord of lords and utterly humble Himself to pour out the riches of God's grace to us through His death and resurrection so we can go and do likewise. What are people going to do? They're going to hate it. They're going to thrash like Naaman does. Well, there are better rivers at home I could have gone to. What is this? This is horrible. This is ridiculous. And the servants push through that, right? And they just shove through and press through to say, isn't he offering you an amazing thing? He's offering you healing. Won't you take it? And so Naaman humbles himself. And when he steps into that muddy, nasty Jordan River, not half as clean as the ones back home, and he dips in it seven times, he is not just stepping into a gateway of his physical healing. He is stepping into a journey that is going to heal and renew his soul. That is going to break his pride. So he comes back to Elijah and says, can can I give you anything? Well, if you won't take anything, will you please, please just give me one more thing? Because I'm needy. I need two mule loads of dirt. Why is he asking for that? Because he's saying, when I have to go into the false god's temple, to the temple of Rimon back home, and my master makes me go in there and makes me bow down, I want to have some dirt I can put down there that will show me I'm still worshiping and hoping in the one true God. He's asking for forgiveness for sins he hasn't even committed yet. That's how humble he's becoming. That's utterly dependent on grace he's becoming. And Elisha loves it. And Jesus doesn't either. I think about the people who are willing to break into my life to fight through my pride. I think about a youth director in a church in Lakeland that wasn't even my home church that said, Paul, when I first met you, you were so proud, I saw the horns coming out of your head. (laughs) but I wanted to stay with you and I wanted to see what God might do. And then you move from asking me, could I come teach a Bible study for our youth group to saying, could I just come set up chairs? Do you need any help doing anything beforehand? And then I knew that God was in the room. Where does Jesus want you to move toward a spouse, a child, a parent, 
a friend, a coworker, somebody in your neighborhood that just you can't stand them because they're so consumed with their pride. Where does Jesus want you to be planting, as Kyle let us say, flags of resurrection and seeds of resurrection, praying and hoping and moving them toward gospel humility? Servants of resurrection are willing to bring the gospel to the undeserving. They're willing to bring them to the proud. And lastly, servants of resurrection are willing to do all of this for free. What does Elisha's servant teach us? What does Gehazi teach us? Whose name in Hebrew literally means greed. Avarice. That's what Gehazi means in Hebrew. How not to do it. What does Gehazi teach us? My master, (coughs) let that man off easy. Verse 27. I will go and get something from him. Gehazi is saying, I I must have something. I must have wealth and power too, or this gospel ministry is not worth it. Why was the punishment on Gehazi so strong? Why did he get stuck with Naaman's leprosy? Why why this strong, strong judgment? I think for at least two reasons. Number one, because this is a fresh outbreak of the gospel beyond the borders of Israel, and God is saying strongly through His prophet, this is not about money. This is not time to accept olive orchards or clothing or silver or gold or land. This is a time to shower free grace even to our enemies to the most undeserving, even to the proud and those consumed with their pride and their power. It's not a time for this. But I think also God strikes him with leprosy to break Gehazi. We don't know what happens to Gehazi. But the God who is full of mercy and love, I think is striking him to say, Gehazi, can you see the sinfulness and the sickness of your own soul? Do you see what your name says, that you're consumed by the love of money and not God? Do you see how badly you need my mercy too and how you have to live alone by mercy too? Wherever you are greedy like me. I love what Tim Keller says about greed. When you preach on the seven deadly sins, everybody goes, well, yeah, I struggle with lust. Yeah, I struggle with pride. Yeah, envy. Okay, okay. Greed? Well, I don't do that one. Because I'm not as rich as Joe over there or Sally. And I'm a lot more kind and generous than Steve is. Nobody thinks they have greed. (laughs) That's why it's one of the deadliest sins of all. Where does God want you in a fresh way to say, Lord, I just freely give you all that I have. I I don't want to cling to my possessions. And where they are clinging to me, would you free me? Would Easter love come and show me that the great riches are not in what I possess, but in what you freely give me through the gospel? How does God want to free you from greed, 
heal you of that sickness. The sin of greed in the seven deadlies is yellow to picture a jaundiced body, a sick liver. God, heal my jaundiced heart. Take it away and make me fresh and new by your grace. The Lord loves you. The Lord has given Easter to you. And He calls you out into His service. May we embrace that. May our lives be tipped forward into Easter. May we rejoice and be glad and be His Easter servants. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time. We praise You for this Gospel that comes to us of Christ coming and dying and rising again in all the parts of the Bible, even here in the very middle, through these old, old prophets. Lord, touch us with this Gospel of resurrection and may we live and serve in light of it. Now feed us on this Gospel of resurrection so that we can become what we eat. We pray it, Jesus, all in Your name. Amen.